We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. And today we have a very special guest with us in studio from the local area. Mm-hmm. Steven. <laughs> What's up, Steven? <laughs> Hey everybody, Steve, how's it going? Steven, what's up, here. man? Steve, Steven's our friend from around here. It's good to have you on the show. We're excited. It, we've been having a good time this morning, just goofing off, huh? Yeah, we always we we like yeah. to have fun, goofing off, and we are not a glum lot. Getting the wiggles out—that's what I like to call it. You got to get the wiggles out. Yeah, and, you know. Remember sometimes that. you got to get the wiggles in. Yeah. It's so wiggle in more graphic. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's good to have Steve here. Yeah, though. it is yeah, good. good, to be here. good give to be us here. some balance. Yeah, good to have Steve here to give us some balance. We wanted Steve to come on. We've known Steve for a, for a pretty decent amount of time, um, and we wanted to talk about something that is is close to me. That a lot of people, you know, as our listeners and viewers know, we're we're an all pathways recovery podcast, and we don't just talk about drugs and alcohol. We don't just talk about one form of uh, recovery over another. We talk about as many different ways of people getting sober as possible. And one of the things that we run into often and in, in, in different ways are, are people that have a desire and do get sober despite the deity God idea, right? Despite, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how else to say it. Like, <laughs> min- minus, minus the, the God higher power concept. And so, Steve is a 12-stepper. You know, Cameron and I are 12-steppers. A lot of you guys know that. And, and we wanted to talk today, just so you know, specifically about the 12 steps of AA, which is something we don't normally do, is right. spe- speak specifically about AA, because we're not promoting AA, we're, or we're not spokespeople, we're not spokespeople. For, for AA. We are members of AA. AA has helped us, but... You know, we wanted to get out there a new way. You know, some people may have never thought of this, but the topic for today is, let me get to it. I'm getting God there. Jam. Fuck. Uh, 12, <laughs> steps, <laughs> 12 steps for the non-believer. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, we wanted to. Right? I would just that's like a, to add that I'd, I'd say it's just like a different way to look at the steps. Yeah. Not you know? a new way or a better way. It's just a different way. A different way. Very good. Yeah. Trying to, I don't know what I'm trying to do. So take it away, boys. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it is important. And I, and I appreciate you coming on like Steve. Um, We uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to know a lot of people in the community who have recovered um, in different ways. And we like to have those people on the show to talk to us about what they know. Um, And, and one thing that, you know, is 12 steps for somebody from an atheist perspective. Um, And so I think it's worth talking about and worth exploring just because there is a lot of um, misconception about AA um, or this notion that, you know, you have to have um, a certain belief um, 
which isn't true, but um, that you have to have, you know, a certain belief behind that in order to do the 12 steps properly. And, and I think that we want to just dispel that notion and, and also just look at the steps from a different perspective. Um, and so in order to do that, I think that um, we like to have somebody on that knows a thing or two about that. Um, so I appreciate <laughs> you being here, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Um, I think it's just be about being more inclusive to anybody and what their beliefs are, you know what I mean? Not force, you know, force someone to change their thoughts or beliefs into what I think you need to do. You know what I mean? I think it's important to, you know, the more options we have, have out there for more people, the, the, the more chances are that we're going to have more people recovering and, mm-hmm. and, and leading happy, healthful and useful lives, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We should also mention, um, that we, we also have your war story. Yeah, um, we should mention that. That's, so a, that's a great <laughs> mention. We, we are going to be hearing, um, you know, what life was like for you before. Um, and then, you know, how you were able to turn things around as yeah. a result of working a 12 step program. So, um, and your story is incredible, man. Uh, yeah, you were fucked up. Yeah. Like I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty, I was, I was a wreck. <laughs> no, what I what I actually really liked about it though, like, is you're I have no like I'm not shy in saying this. I'm not holding back at all. Like you're one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um and I always just really appreciate the energy that you bring to every situation um that I have ever had the um the opportunity to 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 find you in. Um, and, and for me, like it always seems to be, I'm always fascinated when, um, you know, I meet these people that have such a checkered past that are just absolutely (laughs) great people. Yeah. Yeah. Genuinely good people. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was fascinating to hear your story and I'm just so, um, it's just so cool to see how far you've come and, and what you've been able to do. That was a wreck and I was pretty, pretty low, you know, um, and I've always been that way, even like even when I was using and doing what I was doing pretty heavily, you know, I wasn't still a nice guy hanging out at the parties and just kind of having fun and trying to make people laugh. And, you know, I was never like a a dick to many people, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, was, I was like stealing shit from stores and whatnot, but I'd still like hold hold the door open for ladies <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? I was, I've always been a pretty happy go lucky kind of person, you know, and um it's nice to just have that match my behaviors now. You know yeah. what I mean? I like that. I feel more uh, in tune with how I really am. You know what I mean? When I feel like a really good person, but I'm walking out of Walmart with a bunch of stolen shit and trying to sell drugs to people or, or whatever, hurting my parents. You know what I mean? It was just, it's just nice to be more in line with how I really am. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I love it. And you got a great voice for the air, by the way. You sound good in my headphones. Perfect. I sound like a dork to me, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. It's really good to have you here. So, so let's, let's talk 12 steps. Okay. Um, let's talk about the 12 steps. I wonder wonder how many of our listeners even know what the 12 steps are. I'm sure that I, well, I know that there's some that do, but I wonder if there's any that don't. And so Cameron's got his, his handy dandy notebook here. This is a, this is a, a book. Written this is long ago. This is the <laughs> book. It was written long ago. Um, and it, he's in the Cameron's land of Hallelujah. Cameron's going to read what the 12 steps of AAR 
and then we'll just kind of go through and kind of talk about them. Yeah. So these are the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, for anybody who may not know. Um, one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yep. That's that's the twelve steps of AA, and we're gonna try to get through them. You know, let this let this uh, conversation happen organically. But you know, Steve, Steve, how was it to you know to take that first step? Like, what was that like for you to admit you were powerless over alcohol, drugs? Like, well, I always like you know I was powerless over a lot of shit. But yeah. for you, you know, um, what, how how did you take that step? Um, basically, I just wrote down like a, my history, where where my drinking started, and all the situations that it got me into, where my life was going, um, situations where <clears throat> kind of relate to um, like the craving and the the obsession, the compulsion, and when those things like were happening in my life, times that I've tried to quit, um, things would be going great, um, and I would just turn back to it, thinking that I would be okay. And eventually it would just, just take over where it became priority number one. And everything else just kind of started falling apart then. But yeah. that was a big part for me, just looking at my history, writing down things, seeing on paper, you know, oh, here I'm, you know, not being there for my kids. Here I'm not living in a normal house, flip-flopping through friends' houses, whatever, you know. Yeah, continuing to put drugs in your body. That was a big one for me, too, just... I couldn't stop knowing this thing's ruining my life and, and still doing, doing it, it anyway. You, hanging doing out it. with people yeah. that I didn't want to hang out with, being around people I didn't think liked me, uh, you know, putting myself in dangerous situations. You know, it was it was really a, like you said, it was a, it was a um, reflection of the past. You yeah. know, over and over and over again, I could I could no longer deny that every time it every time I used, every time I drank, it took me to a dark place and I became somebody that I didn't really want to be at a deep level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that uh, that this step I think is probably taken the same way, regardless as to what you believe. And really it's yeah, later yeah. it's later when we get and I mean we hear this said in meetings all the time is that 
okay, you got me to admit that I'm powerless and now you're going to throw this God thing at me, right? So step one generally tends to be the same no matter what. It was for me as well. And yeah, it was basically just me looking at all this evidence that no matter what, like it seems to be true that when I put this shit into my body, I can't stop and bad things happen. Right. Um, that was big for me, like um, going through the book and it kind of breaks it down. You know, it gives you like different examples of the different people that use and how they're using it is, you know, trying different things. Um, kind of like if, if I, if I don't know, if I'm not aware of the problem, then I don't, I'm not aware of the problem and I just keep doing these things. Yeah. But once I read through the book and that's what, you know, I really agree with. And I think it made it a huge impact on me was going through the book, seeing what they said about alcoholism and, and applying that to my life because, you know, n- normal people, most people, um, not even normal people like alcoholics, they don't spend much time thinking about what's wrong with me or or whatever the case, you know what I mean? And even if they are, um, unless they like go down like a scientific field or something or pick up a big book or some other type of a NAAA big book, whatever the case, they're not really going to know what's going on with them unless they have something explained to them. And the way the, the big book broke it down made a lot of sense to me. And it kind of, got that ball rolling for me to look at my past and look at my history and look at the problems and where things are going wrong in my life and whatnot. Connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, but then, then, then we move into step two. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. What do you mean? Yeah, that's, that's, so I kind of, um, just jotted down some things and, um, it's kind of like a vague thing to me, like higher power. What is this higher power? You can act like it's God or whatever. But <clears throat> I guess in the terms of like the big book or a lot of these 12 step programs, um, a higher power is just something that's going to help me with, with my alcoholism, with problems in my life and whatnot. And, uh, you know, being a non-believer, I don't, I don't see a God or anything helping me. So what will help me? Where, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get this? power that helps me or whatever the case. And I, I was able to just look around in my early recovery and see what people were doing. You know, they're reaching out, they're talking to other people. Um, and that's where I seen the help coming from early on was just from other people. Yeah. 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 People that have been down the path. You know, if I'm talking to a guy that has like 10 years sober, he's going to have a lot of good advice for me more than likely. And he's going to go, a lot of our stories are real similar in the things that we struggle with. And if, if I'm, faced with it now and I've never had a way to get through it I can talk to somebody with you know 10 years sober whatever the case the number doesn't really matter but um find out what they did with a certain situation and how did you get through this and yeah it was it was real easy to me it real real it's real simple you know I'm not there's no guesswork with you know what does this higher power want from me or um I'm not wondering what's his plan for me (laughs) or you know what I mean I can just talk to another person and get their perspective on it sure Yeah. Well, and I think that one thing I remember hearing Willie say um, quite a bit was uh, that um, me plus you is a power greater than me, right? Right. Um, So if you and I are together and we're working this deal, that's a power greater than myself. So, um, so I mean, yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me, you know? Yeah. I needed, I needed people to point this stuff out to me. Like, you know, step two is something that happened in my life. It's not something I actually did. As far as I can tell, you know, and I've told the story before, I was at a, I was at a noon meeting, 
Um, I needed to go to job service uh, for my probation and parole. I needed to start looking for a job, find, you know, means for, for an adult, act, act like an adult. And <laughs> I, got, I got invited to lunch, you know. And uh, I told the guy that invited me to lunch, I was like, ah, I would, you know, I want to, but I can't. I got to go take care of these things. And he goes, wow, Willie, that's, that's sanity being restored, you know, to have an able-bodied man want to take care of himself and pay his fines and work and make money. That's sanity. Yeah. That's what sanity looks like. It'd be insane for you to leave here and go get high or drunk. And I didn't realize that. I needed people to, like, point out the difference between insanity and sanity. And it was kind of through that same process, like, going around people and, and trying to do the next right thing and staying sober, you know, those those are examples of sanity in my life yeah you know i lived insanely for a very long time well Uh, and we we can see that when we look at the evidence in step one too like we can see all that insanity like i remember um what what i remember doing specifically for step one is like writing down 20 examples of um how my life has become unmanageable and 20 examples of my powerlessness right like of instances where I tried not to drink and I did drink, you know, and I could see the insanity in that behavior in step one. (laughs) Right. And so the insanity, like, okay. Like, so basically step one is like, okay, I'm fucking insane. Step two is like, okay, now find a power that that's not you that will help you become uninsane. Right. And so I think it just boils down to making better decisions. You know, the the decisions I was making prior, you know, pre-recovery were (laughs) not very good ones. You know, I don't have any money, you know, Uh, it's pretty insane to walk into a store with a a jacket full of stolen merchandise or whatever. You know, the more sane, you know, the opposite of that is, you know, go out and get a job. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's it's all real, real simple. You know, I don't have to think about this God restoring me to Sandy. I'm just um, looking at my old behaviors and stuff and look where it's getting me. And, you know, the more sane decisions I start to make, the closer I'm getting to sanity. You know what I mean? And it's not always easy in the first, in the, you know, we, we live our lives making those indis- insane decisions for so long that it just be kind of comes habit. But, you know, gradually we get around people that are, you know, rooting for us or whatever and giving us advice and things just, kind of fall into place once you start making better decisions in your yeah. life. I think that's a big part of what the service positions and stuff in a lot of these places are too, is, is, is it gives us a reason to continue to go back, right? Like it helps, it helps not going back to the insanity of self will, right? Like when I have a sponsor and I have a service position and I'm committed to that, I don't like how it feels inside of me thinking about not being there. Yeah. You know, cause I did that enough in my life. Like I, I, I've done enough of not showing up to work when people were expecting me and hiding out. Like I know what that feels like and I don't want to feel that way anymore. So I do the opposite of that. Absolutely. It does feel great to have obligations and be there on it, time yeah, or, meet or them, right? whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Right. Be, be punctual. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think this is where it starts getting interesting, you know, is, is, uh, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And step three. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, some people on here may 
remember my story and my struggle with all of this, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, the evidence for the God I grew up with is pretty fucking thin. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that, that type of belief system did not serve me well. Right. It did not serve me well. Um, I was, you know, five years in almost, you know, somewhere in there, five years into sobriety and I was fucking miserable and I was continuing to try and believe in something that I didn't believe in. Right. And, and I think that this is where it gets really important to talk about this because if I can save you or Steve can save you a little bit of time on not holding on to something that doesn't work for you, uh, then I want to do it. Right. I want to do it. And so, uh, made the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. So what did that step look like for you? Um, I remember earlier, like I remember it was after a meeting, me and you were having a conversation out in the parking lot after the meeting and we were kind of talking, like I wasn't a non-believer atheist at that point yet. Um, it came, came along a little further down the line, but, um, kind of like you were talking about, like the, the beliefs of this God, this higher power. I remember because I grew up in a religion where um, we didn't eat pork and stuff. And I remember the the conversation that we were having, like, you know, do you think this God's going to hate you because you're eating a, a pork hot dog or something? And having those beliefs, you know, like there was so many different beliefs that went against that God belief that, you know, would make you feel guilty. You know, I remember one time I ended up eating some like pork fried rice or something like spit it out because I thought I was like doing something (laughs) doing doing something damning or doing something wrong and I think a lot of those um kind of like religious beliefs and whatnot um are detrimental you know I mean I don't think any of us we're not trying to bash anyone's belief or whatever but um we're just trying to appeal to the people that have similar thoughts like us you know what I mean but um I think it was a good thing for me to kind of get rid of those um, negative beliefs or whatever that went along with this uh, higher power God type religion thing that got passed yeah. down to me from my parents. You know what I mean? And well, a lot of that stuff's really detrimental, I think. With the there's just so much guilt and shame attached to what this God disapproves of and stuff, and it's I don't know, it just kind of doesn't really make a lot of sense to me in a way. But well, it's it's interesting, right? Like because and and I've had this conversation with my dad too. Um, Uh, you know, we went to the same church, um, you know, me and my family, my brother, both my sisters, my mom and dad, and we all heard a completely different message. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting the way that we process information. Uh, you know, both of my parents are, are religious and they're, they're Bible believing Christians. And, um, you know, they found that through church or whatever. And then I would go to the same church and I heard a completely different message. I didn't hear a message of, of love and compassion from, <laughs> yeah, yeah. from the, the God of their understanding. And I always thought there was something wrong with me. And so when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and they were starting to teach me that I could come up with the, my own concept of a power greater than myself, you know, uh, at first I didn't believe it, right? I thought that somewhere along that line I had to figure out how to believe in the God I was given at birth, you know, because I was taught that there's only one Mm -hmm. that, uh, that that's the right one. And so many, so many religions are like that, but you know, uh, a lot of people find a lot of peace and a lot of comfort in the God of their understanding, which comes from the Bible or comes from the religious background that they grew up in. And so, uh, you know, when I went to a meeting and I had another alcoholic tell me, 
in his own story that he wasn't a Christian and that was okay. It was kind of mind blowing for me, right? It was, you know, and being around these people that um, share their experiences over and over and over in the common thread of sobriety is so important for a person like me because I'm searching for a place to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be comfortable in my own skin. And I, and I believe in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe yep. in the process that this creates a better way of looking at ourselves and a better way of helping the world around us. And so, you know, to be able to get detached from something I don't believe in and understanding that I don't have to believe in that was huge for me. A lot of freedom comes from it. It was know? huge for me. Yeah, which I think is I think it's interesting because it's it's like you said at the beginning, like you have to have people spell it out for you directly. Because I imagine that in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, there is a large group of people in there that are not Christians. Yeah. But you had to hear somebody say, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a Christian. Yeah. And then you were like, wait a minute, that you can actually yeah. do that. Because I mean <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it's like it's like you said, Steve, here, like when we we came to believe, right? Like going back to step two for a minute, like one of the exercises that I was given, um, or that was floated to me anyways as an option was why don't you go through and list all the problems that you have with your God and fire that God and list like all the things that you think a God should be and hire that God. And even like, the idea that you could do that was like, wait a minute, what? Like, you can just forget everything that you were taught and and bring in this new idea of a higher power. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and and that's why I think it's interesting. Like, as we're as we're sitting here talking about like non-believing, like there is a way to make this um, a program that works for you, regardless of no matter how you look at it from an atheist perspective or from the spirit of the universe or without a deity God or whatever the case is, like it it seems like the steps are still the same, right? Mm -hmm. I still got to find a power greater than myself. Like still, right? Like now later we're going to get into specific dialogue where it talks about God. Mm -hmm. And I think that that that's going to be a little bit more of a, of a non-believers perspective. Mm -hmm. Because I, I want to, I don't want to get lost in the idea that when we, when we're using the word God, that it's a very specific God. Right, and and for a lot of people, it is that. Sure, I mean it, it can be, but it yeah. doesn't have to be. Right, and 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 I and I think that it lays out very clearly this idea that it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. early on in the steps. Yeah, wouldn't you agree, Steve? That like now looking at it, step three isn't so much about what you're turning your will over to as much as being willing to turn your will over to something, right? Like, like being willing to take guidance in a certain area, being willing to kind of hear other opinions, get different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, One thing that I have written down here is like, what is the will? And the, like just the textbook definition that I got was um, um, things that a person desires and, um, what, I, what the way I see it is looking at like I don't know if that I desired to 
use drugs and live this type of a lifestyle or whatever. But those were the things that I was chasing and I was going after. I probably desired to have a better life, but I didn't know what to do. But um, that was just a more simple way for me to look at it. Um, what do I desire now? You know, I want to be sober. What, what do I? What does that entail? Going to meetings, reaching out, talking to other people's um, other people, and <clears throat> I think that's that's just as simple as it is. You know, changing my desires. You know, where do I want my life to go? Right. Um, that's basically it for that. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I like that, and I I agree. Like. Because sometimes it is difficult. Like, well, what does that mean? Like, yeah, turn, that's, turn my will. That's and my a lot life. of the the phraseology or however you want to word it. It's just kind of kind of vague, kind of confusing in a way. So, mm-hmm. like, when you uh, Willie asked me to talk a little while ago, I kind of like just did some quick little Google searches, and um, I am working with a, a another atheist, like going through the steps and stuff right now, and. Um, it's my first time going through the steps as an atheist and whatnot. So it was, it was all new to me. Like, you know, this doesn't really make sense. How am I going to explain this higher power thing to him? That's going to make sense and, and be helpful to him. So I kind of like cut out all like the spiritual type wordage and just kind of made it simple with, you know, what is the will, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's new desires, things that a person desires. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. So I guess what we want to do is make it easier and more, uh, um, absorbable or whatever you want to say to a person, no matter what their beliefs are, you know, don't want to yeah. shut anyone out or make them feel like they can't get it or whatever the case. Well, so. have you ever, you ever heard the chair analogy? Right. Right. Or the doorknob analogy. Doorknob, yeah. Right. yeah. You know, if you, if, if you, uh, turn your will over to this chair, a miracle will happen automatically. All right. I turned my will over to this chair. What happened? Well, your life's not being ran by an idiot no more. Right. right. And that's, it's kind of like, I hear a lot of things like it's like funny and clever and stuff, but it's not, it doesn't seem really helpful to me. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like it, it explains anything. Um, okay. Well, how's this chair going to help me? Or, you know, how's this me coming? You know, I liked what you said. You know, it's good to get rid of like negative beliefs that are attached to this, this God. You know, we're talking about like firing the God. I don't like these aspects of it and creating my own thing. But that just didn't really make sense to me, really. Like, oh, I can just make up some higher power, you know? How is that a god? Yeah, how is, how is just something that I'm imagining going to help me? I think that, you know, that god, his wants for me are the same exact things that I want. And I just think that it's it's just me talking to myself and looking at my life and assessing where it's going and what decisions I do want, you know? Yeah. It just, it's just, it's real... Real easy, easy. I think it makes it a lot more simple. And, you know, there's a lot less guesswork, and I'm not having to wonder about what does this God want from me. You know, and it's just like, well, I'm pretty sure I need to quit stealing things and and lying to my boss and whatever. You know what I mean? It's just things that what's going against my morality or my my standards or whatever the case. Conscience. We have a conscience. I want to, I want to do things that make me feel good about myself. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, there's something weird about, yeah, I think mankind in general, especially, well, I don't, especially nothing, but the people that I know, uh, none of us really felt good about doing bad things. You know, label your good, bad, whatever, you know, like it never really felt great stealing. Yeah. You know, I could put a facade over that, but I never, it never really felt great. Uh, It never really felt great cheating or hurting myself or anything like that. I could put meaning behind those things and trick myself into thinking they matter. But 
at a deep level, I knew they were wrong and I didn't want to do things that didn't make me feel good. So I like what you, what you said, you know, I just want to do things that make me feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, that helps. Yeah. You know, and by in, in, in a way to do that is by like doing a four step. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and, and again, this might be one of the steps that probably doesn't change a whole lot from a believing perspective to a non-believer perspective, but let's, Let's talk about it. So step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So, uh, so was I'm it? I'm scared. Was scared of step four. Everybody seems to be scared of step four. Was <laughs> yeah. it a scary thing for you? Um, not really. I think it was. It's the first step where you actually have to do something. You have to pull out a notepad and start writing some things down. It's kind of different, you know. Most of us don't go through our lives taking an inventory and thinking about all the stuff that we've done or whatever the case. But, um. I talked about this before a lot of I hear it a lot in meetings that this step is like digging up all the deep dark stuff and it's it's really not like there's a like three parts to it you know you got the the inventory the resentments um the like sexual behaviors and what attitudes or whatever and then the the fears yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> um really like the the first the resentments is basically you're just going through and writing down anyone that you've you have a resentment against, you know, it could be mom, dad, parents, uh, siblings, yeah, Ogden Police Department, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, Girlfriend that stood me up, you know, and... um, This sounds personal. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all dealt with some things similar to that. Um, And I think what's important is it's never bad to write down more, you know what I mean? Right. Just talk about it if it when you go through your fifth step and you talk about it, if it's, if it's not an issue, then, you know, you wasted a little bit of ink, but I think it's more important to write down more than necessary than, than not enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a simple layout that, that I use that, that my sponsor used with me that I use today, you know, and it's, it's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and you can actually, um, go on a Google search and type in, um, AA resentment inventory worksheet and it'll kind of give you the layout for it. And you basically you do for, for each one, you do a couple columns. And so to, to help me keep this in order, you know, I start with my resentment inventory and for some reason the process as it's laid out works really well. Um, you know, I start with my resentments, who it's against, right? That's, that's my first thing. And I do them in the columns. I don't do it across the sheet. I do it down the sheet. So I go through and I list everybody that, that I have a resentment against. And then I go up there and I do what they did to cause the resentment. I'm looking at their, their behavior. Um, whatever it was, stood me up, fucking arrested me, stole my dope. Uh, yeah. You know, w- no matter the cause, I don't get to decide what it is. I just fucking put it on paper. If I, if I want what this has to offer, I just put it on paper because in step three, I turned my will and my life over to the rest of this process, right? I turned my will and my life over willingly to finish this out mm. is kind of what I did in step three, right? You know, we turned it over to something which I believe is greater than me, which is this process. And then what they did, how it affected me, because there's some part of me that's been affected, right? Whether it was you know, I was financially affected, spiritually affected, emotionally affected. My security was affected. My self-esteem, you know, was I embarrassed? You know, there's, there's some part of me that was affected in that. 
And then later on, we'll go back and look at what my part in that was, because inevitably, usually there's a part that I have that caused that. And so with my resentment inventory, that's what I do is I start there. Everybody that I, that I have resentment against, I go back to the top. I write down everything that those people did. I go back to the top. I write how everything was affected in those orders, because if I start going across the sheet, and this is pretty common, if I start going across the sheet sideways, I get scatterbrained. I'm thinking about too many things where if I can focus in on who and then focus in on why and then focus in on what, then my brain, for whatever reason, stays a little more focused and it comes to me a little better. And it's the same thing with my fears. What do I fear? Why do I fear it? How does it affect me? And then it's the same thing with the people that I've harmed. And, and a lot of people think that the, the, the sex inventory, is what, what it's generally called, is just that. It's a sex inventory. But really what it is, it's a people's that I've harmed inventory. Who are the people that I've harmed? Because a lot of the harm isn't sexual in nature. A lot of it is. Right? A lot of my selfishness comes from a, from, sexual nat- from, from a sexual place. And so what I did with that was I listed everybody that I had a relationship with, the conditions of that relationship and how I had affected them. You know, what, what, what was involved with that? You know, what defect of character was I living in at that point and put all that stuff on paper. And like Steve said, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I had it built up to be. Well, because we're, <laughs> I mean, we're really good at making mountains out of molehills. Like that's the bottom line. It's like none of this stuff is generally like as hard as I think it's going to be. Yeah. Getting sober wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, because I thought it was impossible. So obviously it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. What was it like for you? Just step Uh, four. Yeah. I mean, the same thing. Like, um, and that's, and that's what I teach other people as well is, is the four columns. Like one thing that you said is the, the sex inventory, like, Definitely we're going through and we're listing people that we had harmed, obviously sexually, but I don't get into a separate list about people that I had harmed because that's not, as, as I understand it, how the book lays it out. Um, we get to that when we get to our step eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, 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 from, from what I understand with the steps is resentments, sex inventory, fear inventory, and we leave it at that. But everything from, from your columns... Yeah, I mean, that's how it's done. Like, generally, that's how you want to keep it organized, and it helps us to get through this process with hopefully some ease because mm-hmm. it does tend to be uh, pretty daunting. Yeah, it can get yeah. overwhelming. A lot of our histories are pretty, uh, <laughs> I don't know. What checkered. <laughs> yeah, there you go, checkered. <laughs> so, so let's get on to step five because then we're bringing God back into the picture, right? So admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So, so tell me, like, obviously, when we do a step five, we're, we're telling somebody everything that we've just listed on our step four. So let's talk about uh, what that was like for you. Obviously, God wasn't in the picture. Yeah, right. it was just me and Willie sitting down at a table going over everything I wrote down. and I didn't know it was Willie. That's Yeah. Yep. Well, doesn't matter who. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just kind of like a bad <laughs> joke. It's fine. Yeah. There wasn't nothing, anything real special. Um, like you said, you know, I, I think in the God position, I could just put myself and look at my, a lot of these things that I did and 
um, the situations where I ended up from these things, you know, whether it was my sexual relations or whatever, there was like a common thread between a lot of them. I was trying to use people or take advantage of them or selfish pleasures. Um, and just kind of get a different perspective on, on the situations I was in there, you know, there might be a situation where I'm taking a lot of responsibility for and a lot of blame for me from this situation and talking to my sponsor, he can say, you know, well, you know, you really were kind of out of control here. You didn't, you weren't in control. The things that was, this is like an outside, um, I'm not sure really how to, how to word it, but Willie was just able to give me a different perspective on it where I, you know, you, I don't know how to explain it really. Just <laughs> Well, I mean, sometimes just talking, I mean, it's basic talk therapy, right? Yeah. yeah. Like anytime that we have a problem and we talk to somebody else about it, it's, it's, it's relieving. Yeah. You know, it really does do something for us that can't really be done any other way. And so even though it's, uncomfortable to talk about in most instances there is something to be gained from oh this thing that i thought was a huge deal that has been in the back of my closet that i never wanted to tell anybody about it's not that big a deal. right yeah like you're no longer carrying around that guilt yeah you know and it's not that uncommon like there's so many things that you know that i had in my fifth step and that i hear in other people's fifth step that are just these huge huge burden that we've been carrying around for however many years and they're all the same thing yeah because we all think we're just so unique in that so fucked up and we're just not like unfortunately we've all experienced the same shitty stuff yeah you know a lot of the same stuff you know we all kind of we all kind of feel like we're the worst ones in the lot you know we know that everybody struggles but we always think that we're the worst ones like and that's not the case you know it's like we all we really are all four foot nine or whatever that size is, and they say in the room, we're all, yeah. you know, we we really can look each other in the eye, especially after this step, because you know one of the things that happens when, like when I did it with Steve, when my sponsor did it with me, is that I felt the same size as them, you know, whether I'm the one listening to it or I'm the one giving it, you know, it puts me in a position of vulnerability and understanding where you know we're we're in this really deep spiritual vulnerable position where we're honoring each other's honesty and transparency and it's a it's a really sacred place man and and when you come out of that and it's been well received you know whether you're giving it or or taking it it's been well received and you come out a little bit cleaner than that it means something Mm -hmm. it really does Mm -hmm. and it's much nice to have such a um, open, honest dialogue with another person, you know, and just be really honest, you know, this is like a, a big moment, like where you're actually sitting down with somebody else one-on-one and going over a lot of things in our lives. And it's just kind of, yeah. it was kind of a cool, you know, it wasn't yeah. really like a spiritual thing for me or whatever, but it was just talking to a good buddy in a way, you know, and getting some different perspective on things and intimate. It's yeah. Still intimate. intimate. Great yeah. word. Great word for Clean, it. Clean in the air. Yeah. 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 It was good. It was good. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really the important part is that we open up to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So six again, God, here, here we go. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So here we are again. Um, willingness. Yeah. With God. Yeah. All of a sudden now we have a clear list of, 
of what our defects may be, right? Mm-hmm. The behaviors that we have. It's scary thinking about letting them things go. Yeah, even though we've seen all the harm that they've <laughs> caused, we well, don't know who we are without a lot of them. them are survival techniques. That's what I was going to say. It's how we survived living in that dishonest life or whatever. You know, a lot of those things become just habit. Yeah. Coping, this is how coping mechanisms. Yeah. yeah. So how did you do that, Steve? Let's see. So, uh, so I just didn't believe, you know, I didn't think that a God is going to remove these from things, these things from me. I think it's going to a process of identifying them, um, being aware of when I'm doing them, acknowledging that, and then being committed to, to work on them. You know what I mean? Just, uh, look at my history, look at the, look at when I'm, um, living in these actions or, or whatever the case. And, you know, when you get that icky feeling, it's like, oh, here's a here's a reminder, here's a red flag that I'm doing something that goes against my values, goes against this new recovery, honest lifestyle, and whatever the case. And it's, it's just being aware, you know, don't beat yourself up when you fall short or whatever. Kind of ties in with the next step also, but wasn't nothing nothing real uh, difficult really. Just kind of get a plan for what behaviors are acceptable to you. Try to discard the ones that aren't acceptable and keep moving on yeah nothing real real uh difficult there well you think you think that step step six is some place that you really come to start asking yourself what you really do believe you know because that's kind of that's kind of a place where you know uh i start i start thinking like okay where do i think these behaviors really do come from you know and is it something that i can change on my own or is it something that i definitely need something else to help me with, um, because here's, here's me in this state of powerlessness and unmanageability all the time. And then my life starts to change through this process. And I think, okay, what, what do I believe about God? You know, here it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Right. And I have so much fear and I, and I know that I have this fear because of step four, of judgment from God, of punishment from God, of all these things from God at a deep level, I don't even believe it. And am I, am, am I willing to, because God was on my fourth step, you know, my first, my first four step, God was on there. I had a lot of fear and resentment against God and um, I couldn't even connect with believing it, right? And so I felt like there was something wrong with me and so it was really psychologically mind-fucking when I went through this stuff, it was hard for me to grab a hold of what direction to go with not, not knowing that I believe, but trying to believe and, and trying to change who I am based in that belief thinking, okay, do I, do I go down this path further or do I give it up? You know, and, and, and having that indecision was kind of a character defect in itself because I'm not able to take action when I'm in indecision. And so, uh, I don't know. Was it like that for for you? Like, did you really start questioning your belief on step six and seven? Who are you well, asking? I'm I'm asking you right now, Cameron. I'm asking. Well, I'd like an answer from both. Well, of you, I but. mean, but Steve, yeah, Steve no. was able to pretty much answer. <laughs> well, I mean, you you just answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was it a question of faith for you? Yeah, like I I 
this is kind of like because I was the, up to this point, I was going through the steps and I was like a believer and I was trying to pray and do all these things and whatnot. And then I got to this step and I was thinking, like, how is God going to remove these things from me? And if He does take them from me, is He going to give them back? And it just a lot of it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Like, does He have like if He gives them back to me, is He trying to teach me a lesson? Like, let's say I go out and and hurt something was hurt somebody or I do something against somebody and upset them or cause them harm in a way is that God giving me this character defect back and you know he's using me to harm this person and it just it just really didn't make a lot of sense to me so I just kind of just had to look at it like here's here's a lot of behaviors that I do that um, are harmful to other people harmful to myself they're not you know progressing my life in any way and I just need to it's just a, a always a work in progress you know yeah. we're, we're never perfect and we're always going to make simple mistakes but we're just trying to make those mistakes less as we go through our, our lives you know what i mean no one's going to be perfect and it just didn't make a lot of sense that you know praying to him and he's going to take these from me or it just it just didn't make sense to me and i just think it's more of a a commitment on my part yeah a strive to do better you know type of a thing mm-hmm. yeah and i just i i appreciate this the simpleness nature of of um, of your approach where it's just like it doesn't need to be all that it can just be me being mindful of my yeah. actions behaviors and and making a conscious effort to to change them right yeah so I it's appreciate all it's all that. action on my part you know yeah what the more i put into this the more i get out of it um what's that yeah <laughs> well i mean and and i think that it ties into to um to uh, to seven here like um because again we're talking about god humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings so we've kind of addressed that a little bit and you're saying i'm not sure how he's going to remove them yeah yeah um and more like at that point you're you're making a commitment right um that you're going to be mindful of of what's going on and and commit to change that was another thing that i i just googled and looked up um let's see where are we at here um It was just, t- just uh, with the shortcomings. What is a shortcoming? It's when I don't live up to my expectations. Um, and rather than like beat myself up for not doing that, just continue to, to keep trying to do better. You know what I mean? Forgive yourself when you don't live up to your expectations. Some I wrote down. Continue to do your best and just keep on. Um, this was big in regards to the psychic change that the, the book talks about when I start uh, reflecting on how I would behave in a certain situation that I'm, I'm faced with again. And I make the better decision. I make a a right decision and I'm kind of like rewiring that circuitry in my brain to where I'm automatically making the correct decisions. Um, and it just becomes a lot easier. And like that, that's where I could tie in the psychic change for me. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just a work in progress, but that was kind of a, a big moment for me that clicked in once I'm starting to, see that I'm behaving better, you know what I mean? And um, I always talk about that, like a lot of people, you know, oh, praise God that he did this for me or whatever. I'm, I'm a big advocate of patting yourself on the back when you do something good, when you're, you're acknowledging that you're changing these behaviors in your life. And because um, it's real easy to beat ourselves up and put ourselves down when we do something wrong, you know what I mean? And I think that's what um, causes a lot of people to turn back to drugs and alcohol is that they, they'll make a mistake or they don't see the progress that they're making and they're not as getting as far as they should they feel that they should so i just think it's really important to acknowledge when you're 
doing things right. Yeah, you're, you're you're making better decisions, and um, I just don't want to keep repeating myself. But like when you you know when I walk out of a store without stealing something, or I I tell the truth instead of lying. When in the past I would, it, it would instant reaction would be to lie. You know, here I told the truth. Oh, good job, Stephen. You know, you're you're starting to get this, and you're starting to automatically change these behaviors that caused you so much trouble in the past. So, yeah, I like cool. it. Yeah, I, I like it too. Yeah. So we're gonna move on to steps uh, eight and nine. We're gonna it's going by pretty. Our time is running out, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> like this is going by. It's such a such a huge topic. But bear with us. We want to get to, you know, just touch on steps eight and nine. Because they're they're a really freeing step, you know, and there's not, I don't think there's much difference in eight and nine whether you have a, a god or no god, like right. you know, we make that list of people that we had harmed, and then we start making amends for the things that we did. Right. Yeah. I just want to add uh, number nine. I really enjoyed doing because I was actually going back out into the community, and and it was my first go at you know trying to make some things right with the people that I've harmed in my life, and it was just really satisfying and made me feel really good about doing yeah. this you know yeah and like even you know no matter what you believe like i mean i don't know about you but i think karma is probably a real thing and you know when i go out there and at least fucking try and make right some of the wrong that i did i feel better about me yeah mm-hmm. and so there's something to be said for the confidence that it can give us yeah um, in those instances so um but so we'll move on to step 10 10 continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So this is something that we uh, we're now into the steps, you know, that are quote unquote the maintenance steps. Um, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. So what does that mean to you? Uh, just a simple example: if I lie to somebody or whatever, just go and kind of fess up, say hey, or you know, if I took something from somebody or whatever, um, just go and kind of own up to it and. So basically, keep ourselves in a position where we don't need to make amends yeah. again. Yeah, we're not throwing rocks in our backpack. Or yeah, and if we do, make amends. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to have that change in early sobriety. I'm sorry, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but for me and most of the people that I know, didn't get fucking exactly honest the first year they were in sobriety. The second year they were in sobriety, <laughs> we didn't necessarily know how to fucking have an honest conversation or dial in our feelings. Or be, you know, completely realistic with certain things. You know, those things were practices that took time. And when I did the wrong thing, when I did something against myself, something against the nature of what I want to do, I felt bad. And step 10 is really a place where I can go through and I can look at those behaviors daily and not have to repeat them the next day. Right. Can I share my uh, false birthday story real quick? Sure. So, uh... I think it was, I think it was like, this is a good example of making amends or whatever. Um, it wasn't very prompt, but so I, I think it was probably like six months or something. I was up in Idaho hanging out with some friends and I drank two beers and, uh, obviously, you know, that's kind of like the break of my sobriety date, but I didn't really count it. And then I continued celebrating all my birthdays and then I got my one year chip and, I remember a lot of a lot of the locals around here know Alice, and she was just so proud of me. Oh, Stephen, I'm so proud you've done so well. You got your year, and like I remember hugging her and just feeling like completely icky, you know, and like I didn't deserve this. And I like went back to like two or three of the meetings where I celebrated that one year, and I like gave back my chip and restarted my sobriety date from that day that yeah. I. Uh, Steve called me. <clears throat> 
Yeah. Like, dude, I got to <laughs> tell you something. I laughed. Ah, fuck. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. Wow. Everyone can congratulate. Oh, that's cool, man. And that's just kind of uh, another uh, example of my standards and my morals or whatever my shortcomings were. I, I f- fell back and then picked myself up yeah. and moved back on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ah, I love it. I love it. Okay. So here's a big one. Um, sought through prayer and meditation. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So, um, just real quick, I guess the, the way I would look at this is um, looking at my will, my desires, where, where have I changed over this, you know, however long it's been since I've got to this step. Um, think about my life, the direction that it's going, and um, contemplate a lot on what I want, my future. Um, you can do, you know, normal meditation, um, go to the gym, whatever, journal. Um, I think any of that type of stuff of just reflecting on your life and, you know, kind of pinpointing things where I can behave better, or improve on my life. I think all those things are good. And that's really all I got to say on that one. What do you guys so got to you, add? So for you, it was sort of just removing prayer, right? Yeah. Um, and, and still, you're still able to reflect on this higher version of yourself and this new person that you, um, I have sort of become as a result of working these steps or that you at least see yourself on a path towards, yeah. um, and, and just strive to be more of that person each day. Right. And I, and I can still like pray, you know, I'm not praying to God like, Oh, Hey God, give me a great day today or something, but I can wake up in the morning and kind of get a plan for my day. I'm sure Willie, he does a lot of this, um, with everything that he's got going on or a lot of us do, you know, we just kind of get a plan for our day and, um, just, you know, trying to focus on where we want our lives to go and how we want our day to look, you know, so. I say, I say thank you in the morning and I say thank you at night still. I mean, no matter what I got going on, you know, for me, uh, it's a real, it's really a place for me to start learning more about the world around me. Um, You know, I'm sober now. I've started making these amends. I'm willing to make the amends as they come up. You know, I'm letting go of the character defects. I'm looking for ways to be better in my life. So a lot of it has to do with like YouTube uh, motivational videos. You know, how are people being successful? What are, what are some of the things that they're doing? How do, how do other societies and other religions and other belief systems uh, approach the word uh, spiritual? How can I enter, you know, work that into my life? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's this practice of becoming a better person. Like Steve said, through, you know, sitting with myself, being able to be by myself in my own skin and really, again, going back to like step six and seven, you know, what do I believe today? Am, am I willing to to grow along these spiritual lines or am I going to stay rigid in what I believe today? Am I, am I going to be able to move past this belief that I have now, whether there is a God or isn't a God? Am I, you know, whatever I believe today, is it still serving me in yeah. my growth? Um, where do I where do I sit as far as you know the type of person I want to be the type of father, how can I become a better father? You know all those things. It's it's really a place of learning, and taking deep reflection on where I'm at and where I want to be. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of tools and a lot of uh, other resources out there to. You there know, really is. We live in a pretty amazing age nowadays. We can find out a lot of different stuff about all kinds of things. You know, there's a lot of different tools out there to help us. So I. 
definitely uh, promote looking outside of whatever just to find out other information or what can I do to make myself better, whatever. Yeah, sort of whatever it takes to, like it says here, you know, improve your conscious contact with God. Like, what if we're just trying to improve our conscious contact with our inner self yeah. and our higher self? Like, what are the things that we can use in order to, to do that? Um, and there are a lot of tools and resources. And, and you know, you guys have both done a really good job at mentioning, um, you know, some that are out there. And I think that um, it's important that we continue to do that, you know, as it says in this step. And so, um, yeah, so I think no matter what, um, it is crucial. And that's why it's on the list. Um, so step 12. Step of 12 eh? Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So let me just ask you this, Steve. Do you feel like you've had a spiritual awakening? Mm, not really a spiritual awakening. Like um, I would say more like a just a realization of what's going to benefit my life and what's not you know what i mean would you call it a psychic change psychic change yeah just continue you know when talks about it in like the nine step promises um situations that used to baffle us will we will intuitively know how to handle yeah um i think that's that's great and i think there's lots of spiritual experiences that we can encounter in our lives um hanging out with my kids or making a decision a better decision to for my life or taking a step into something that i've never really uh tried to accomplish or you know stepping out of the comfort zone and trying something new or whatever the case yeah. but i think a lot of it just kind of ties into our everyday life yeah. you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i think that you know the important the, the important thing about this step is that we're willing to um to help others with the the new revelation that we have um and uh and so you know regardless as to what you call it or how it comes about i think that by the time we get to step 12, there should be a definite change in, in our behavior. In, in mind, mind, body, and behavior, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what else I wrote down, just like how, like, because we're, now we're talking about sharing the message with others and, and helping others out, you know, how I seeing, what's, what's my perspective on things, um, what I did, what worked, and where I'm at now. You know. Well, and 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 I'm glad I'm glad you said that because coming on the podcast and talking about this is one way to do it. The other way to do it is to share your story, right? Yeah. Right. And um, I think I think Steve's had a pretty amazing turnaround, and I think we should share it with everybody. We've 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 yacked our necks long enough. Let's <laughs> let's give uh, let's give Steve the floor and let him tell a story. Let's do it. All right. Without further ado, here is Steve's story. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwashed Coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment, Found a New Freedom, we drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase, at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code other side. Clean your brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here is this week's war story. Hi, everybody. My name's Stephen. I'm an alcoholic uh, and a drug addict, whatever the case may be. Um, 
so let's see my story starts um growing up as a kid i was always a pretty happy kid but um like i just you know i liked outdoors and hanging out and doing doing just normal kid stuff i guess you'd say um but there always was kind of like a i always had like a side for being rebellious and not following rules or whatever um i think the first time i got caught shoplifting I think I was in like second or third grade or something. Um, me and my friends would always hit up the stores when I lived in Nevada. And it was like just a place that we would always go and steal shit from like Legos and just dumb kid shit or whatever. But um, that's kind of where it started, I guess. But I didn't really like ever think about my consequences. I actually, that time I got caught, I think I was already grounded for something and I like snuck out and <clears throat> then the store ended up calling my parents or whatever um um they they didn't really punish me a lot I guess or like very severely um I'm sure they kind of just had it up they were kind of at their wits end as I was getting older so they just kind of let me do whatever I wanted in a way um my dad he was just more like he would just yell and stuff he wouldn't really like explain things like well, this is, this is, you shouldn't do this because this is where it will get you or whatever. <clears throat> so I didn't really have any guidance as far as that goes growing up. And really it just kind of gradually got worse. Um, I've always kind of, I guess you, it's kind of contradictory. I guess you could say I've always kind of been a good person, but I just didn't really like respect rules and laws or other people, uh, other people's property. Um, and it just gradually got worse and worse. Um, I think the first time I smoked weed, I was probably like 15, 16. And just just anything that my friends were doing, I was real like uh, impressionable. Peer pressure I would give in easily to. Um, I was also really good at peer pressure to other people. Like, hey, let's go do this. Um, <clears throat> and let's just see what kind of chaos we can cause i caused all kinds of chaos all around ogden utah <laughs> um let's see i'll try not to bounce around too much i remember the first time that i got drunk it was after a soccer game at my uh middle school and i, I remember walking i remember i don't remember much of the night i remember like getting away from the school like two blocks blacking out and then there's some vague memories of walking around the old ogden city mall or something and then some memories of like climbing around on some scaffold and I don't even know what was going on, but I ended up waking up the next morning and there was, there's a post office in our city. It's like on 20, uh, like eighth and Washington Boulevard. And I like woke up underneath the scaffold. They were just like building this, this post office. And I had like puke all over me and I like stumbled home and just like crashed out and really hung over, really just a wreck, you know, and I didn't really, that was my first time uh, being drunk or experiencing that, you know what I mean, but um, I don't think I ever, like, really noticed that if, if how alluring it was to me, or if, if I really was like, oh, this is great, or whatever, but <clears throat> I think what really kicked that into gear was meeting other people that did this type of stuff more often. Um, my grades and stuff were always pretty decent up until I started getting into like middle school and high school um high school was a wreck I never never really 
was at class much. I remember my math GPA was like 0 0.8 or some shit or 0 0.08. Um, and there was one time I fell asleep on my math book and the teacher like called my name and you could hear the page like unstick from my forehead. <clears throat> and I just didn't really fit in around like people doing, kids doing what they should have been doing at that time. And I just got into a got into the group of kids that were you know sloughing class or smoking cigarettes on the corner out behind the school and that seemed a lot more appealing to me it's like i can do whatever i want you know, i don't like school here i am sleeping in class and these kids are sloughing school and we're hanging out at their house whatever we wanted really and uh eventually i just like kind of basically i guess dropped out of school was just basically ran away from my ran ran away from home and just started hanging out in a pretty rowdy crowd, got introduced to more heavy duty drugs. Um, first time I got locked up, I was, I think I was like 17. Um, I had another friend that we were both very, really impressionable. And uh, we was kind of like, I was fire and he was gasoline or vice versa. Anytime we were around, we would get some, some type of substance in us and our judgment would just... <laughs> Out, out the wind out the window you know what I mean and we ended up um we were at a party out in North Ogden and we were across the street from his house waiting for his mom to like go to work or whatever at like four in the morning and I had the great idea of like breaking into this van and we like it was a bunch of someone's like work van or something and <clears throat> um we made a, after his mom left, we made a few trips back and forth across the street to his house, took all the tools out of it or whatever. And I was like, Hey man, let's set this thing on fire. And, uh, this is the kind of stuff. I have a lot of different stories. This is probably the most extreme, but we sent it, set it on fire. I dumped like two or three gallons of gasoline in it. And I like ran up to the main street, Washington Boulevard. And I was like, yeah, the coast is clear or whatever. And I can't remember how he lit it. If we did like a trail of gasoline or something, but it like went off like a bomb because of there was so many so much fumes and so much um um gas in this thing and like flames shot out of the side doors and like burnt him up real bad or whatever um we ended up getting busted for that like a little while later i remember being down at the skate park um and the cop showed up like hey are you steven burtis and i'm like yeah and then like yeah you got to come with us i went to like a uh children's lockup for like a month and then I seen a judge and they're like well this is a pretty serious thing so you're gonna have to go to a like a like a kid's prison type of place not not really a prison but just another lockup facility um, where kids can like do community service to work off their hours for restitution and stuff um, so that, that was the first time I was ever like really locked up and out and like taken out of society um, definitely didn't learn my lesson there I was getting into fights I was uh sneaking in drugs um I remember I got a home visit the first time I ever did like knife rips or whatever went back to the thing they ended up my hours my community service was so low and I was getting into so much trouble and I was so close to becoming an adult that they uh like well we don't really want you in this program you're becoming an adult now they just kind of like set me out on my own and I never looked, I never had any like forethought about my future or what I'm doing, my actions and where my actions are leading me. I was just like, all right, well, here I'm, I'm getting out early, whatever. All right. Hey, what's up friends. And 
<clears throat> old Steve's back, you know, let's party and, and, and keep doing things. You know what I mean? Let's uh, keep this party going, so to speak, I guess. And <clears throat> it wasn't long after that. Um, uh, me and my friends, we were all just, we haven't slept for a few days and um, we had a bunch of our belongings in this chick's car and she was coming down and she like we watched her jump in her car and take off and we're like oh this bitch is trying to rob us or whatever <clears throat> so uh, later that night um i hit up one of my friends and long story short we like went over to her house and <clears throat> broke into her car got all our stuff back my friend went around to a window opened the window climbed inside unlocked the door and then we basically just ransacked this house for like god we were in there for so long i don't even know how long but for definitely longer than you should have been um the girl was actually in the house still and um we like locked her in a room for whatever reason she had like a lock on the outside of her door and we came out and we just had like bags full of of different things from this house um it wasn't long after till after that you know obviously she um woke up and called her mom and they called the cops and stuff and there was like a witness that seen us leaving the house and stuff so long story short, um, the cops ended up tracking us down from a place that we were at the day before. And um, I remember asking them, you know, like, I was like, am I going to jail? And they're like, well, how old are you? I was like 18. I just turned 18 not too long ago. And like, yeah, you're going to jail because this is like a, an adult. You're an adult now. You know what I mean? And um, real scared going to jail for my first time. Oh, man, this is going to be terrible. I got to get out of here. Um, I think I ended up doing like a year that time. Um, still didn't learn my lesson. Um, and I, I think a lot of why I didn't learn my lesson is I'd never really thought about my situation much. And um, I never like really took things seriously. <clears throat> I never really had any reason to. Um, so that, that was basically my story for the next like, I don't even know how long. Um, basically if I'm doing the math right probably about 13 years or something um same old stuff just in and out of jail um going to jail hating it saying that all you know oh, I'm, I'm gonna straighten up I'm gonna clean up and uh this will be different um as soon as I got out you know uh life just I I just I don't know I just still didn't have any any real drive to do what I needed to do. Um, and uh, just same old story, um, in and out of jails, um, ended up um, going to prison once also, um, that was for like probation violations and, and just still continually screwing up even though I'm on probation. Um, tried doing the jumping through the hoops, um, trying to use when I knew I wouldn't have to, to check in or UA. Um, that ended up catching up with me. The, the judge was like, well, you seem to have a drug problem and, and you don't really seem to want to change your behavior. So we're going to see what prison does for you. So he sent me down to prison. Um, also another scary thing. I remember signing the paper that says, where do you want your body sent if you, you know, you die and stuff. And <clears throat> that was pretty scary but once again still didn't wake me up um got out of jail or got out of prison that time um i think i might have done okay for a little while or something but nothing nothing real significant um 
I wasn't able to, I think that's another thing that was really important for me was like my friends, even though they weren't real good friends. And <clears throat> um, I would just always go back to them. It's really hard to to try to stay clean when everyone around you is is using and drinking and and living that that type of lifestyle. So that continued for, you know, like I was saying, probably 13 years from that first time that I was uh, in jail. And that last time that I was in jail, um, I was going to the meetings um, that um, they, they would bring to the jail and whatnot. And there was a guy in there um, and he, he would always come and he would always say that, you know, people that get out of jail and go to meetings, they have a higher success rate of um, being successful, um, having some type of a life, um, continue long-term sobriety. And that sounded pretty good to me. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I, I should probably give this, a, give this a shot because, you know, my, I'm getting older now. I think I was like 32. And um, so that, I took that advice. I think that was the first like real recovery rev advice that I actually took. You know what I mean? Like I was going to, to meetings in jail, but once I'm out of jail, then it's up to me to make those decisions. And I think that was the first step to my recovery and my sobriety. Um, I got out and I just started going to meetings, um, started meeting new friends, new people, um, started hearing about what other people have done and what other people did when they didn't really know what to do. Um, every other time I would get out of jail and I wouldn't know know what to do. I would have these cravings and these urges. Um, I would feel uncomfortable or something. And for me, I would always, I've always, my answer was always drown those out and avoid those feelings at basically all costs. <clears throat> so um, it basically gave me a, a, an answer to a, a better answer to those those situations that came up in my life and things just things just started to started to change and things started to get better I was uh going to a lot of meetings I ended up getting a sponsor and I got a home group pretty I don't know probably like with within my first couple of weeks of being out um, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days I took suggestions to show up early help set up um hang out afterwards um hanging out afterwards was always kind of a like a bright spot in my recovery meeting meeting other people that struggled with the same things that I did um talking about what they did <clears throat> and a lot of the times the conversations that I was having after the meetings weren't even really recovery related but um it made me feel um part of society again um most of my life I was never in society I was like always against it and always um being destructive and and just not really con contributing in in any way really um another thing that I kind of didn't really touch up touch on is that I always had the attitude of oh this is just a party and I'm I'm just having fun or whatever but that last time that I got out of jail, my kid's mom told me that, you know, your kids are kind of forgetting about you. Um, I think at that time, my kids were probably like eight and nine or something like that. And that really hit me kind of hard. And it really made me, um, it kind of hit me, hit me pretty hard that, you know, this is, this is real. It's not just my life anymore. I'm, you know, I'm now responsible for these kids. I have, 
like <clears throat> I think I had like sixteen thousand dollars in like back child support or something. So I was obviously not not there for them. Um, definitely neglecting them in just every respect. You know, I wasn't giving them the time, the visits. Um, was just not aroused, and that's exactly what my my addiction did to me it took all the good things in my life or all the all the good things in my life that I could have had and totally just stripped them away so hearing that really kind of was it was a it was a big wake-up call so that made it a lot um um easier for me to to want to try to get sober and um to be a better to be a better person to myself to my family friends to society to my kids um and I definitely got to give AA and uh, all of the the people that have stuck around and, and continue to stick around. Um, I got to give them a lot of credit and a lot of uh, um, a lot of love, I guess. You know, for for still sticking around even though their lives are good and that they're sober or whatever. You know, they didn't get get um, sober and just call it quits. You know, they continue to come back and they continue to to spread the word and and to help others. And I'm just really grateful that they still do that. And, uh, you know, that's why I still do it. Um, there's a great feeling when you see a newcomer and you, you continually see them and they just keep coming back and you start to see their life change around and um, they start to, to stay sober. They just, because we all know what, the, what it's like to live in that, that, um, that hole, that slump or whatever. And, when we see somebody hurting, we can really relate to that. So when we see that they're um, getting out of that, it's like, it's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm rock on, man, keep that shit going. You know, um, it makes me feel really good. And um, cause I, I know that we all have seen this, but we see so many people come through and we, you know, we might see them once or, or maybe twice or something. And, <clears throat> and that's all you see. I mean, you know, we don't ever know really what happens to a lot of them. And, um I think in probably most cases it's not turning out good for them so um it's really good to to stick around and and kind of um keep passing it on and keep paying it forward what what the those people did for me in my early recovery um now I you know I own a house now I've actually got custody of both of my daughters they're living with me I'm married um I've had the same job for like three years or something like that, maybe even longer. Um, I think it's the longest that I've, you know, this is definitely the longest that I've ever been out of you know, my longest stretch between jail um, sentences or whatever. And life's really good. You know, um, a lot of people um, talk about, um, it's really not about what you get, you know, <laughs> in a way it, it's not, but you know, to live in society and to be a productive member of society and, and to have things, to have these nice things, um, have a, a home of my own. You know, I'm not searching uh, some couch to flop out on um, or, you know, hitting up friends. Hey, can I crash here? And whatever, you know, there's a lot of obviously a lot of good mental things I've received, you know, mental clarity, um, a lot more um, emotional stability and whatnot. Uh, but there's there's just so many gifts to to that you'll re receive if uh, you can get sober and life just it just gets so much better um, the the longer that you keep working on things and 
you uh, keep striving to do better and you keep um, asking questions and, and not being afraid to learn new things and um, life just, I don't know, it just, uh, it does really just keep getting better. Um, the, the promises that it talks about in the book, um, those things have definitely came true and they've been coming true like man like way before I was even halfway through the steps or or any of that you know um it's it, it just makes a lot of lot a lot of sense you know the the more good decisions I make in my life and for myself the better that my life's going to be and um it it really does just make a lot of sense and it makes life a lot a lot better a lot more joyful <clears throat> and more fulfilling um it's really nice to look back at my life um in my recovery and and see all the things that I've accomplished and and then kind of contrast that with the way things were before and um it's just a night and day difference um early on it really is it, it can be really difficult um to you know break all those old habits um it's really hard to to say no I'm not going to do do that today or whatever I think the the biggest thing for me was reaching out and and asking for help and um you know if I'm faced with a situation that I I don't know how to handle reach out to those that that have um been through that similar situation and and find out what they've done and, and you know give that a try and see if that works for me and in most situations it will and um before too long you know you you just start to be able to handle these situations with um without even really thinking about it or without it causing you a, a great deal of stress or you know triggers popping up and i need to go use and get high because i don't know what to do right now um the, the longer you practice this and the more you get um involved in your recovery and the more you um apply these things to to the issues in our life the you know the, the better and easier they're going to be for us in the future when they come up and um you know always, i always talk about reaching out and and asking asking for help you know don't be don't be afraid to ask for help if, if there's something that you're struggling with or no matter what it is you know um because there's so much baggage from our past i've heard a good analogy of you know it's, it's like we're when we're using and drinking and stuff it's like we're cruising down the road and you know problems come up you know oh, bills and you just throw them in the back you know oh, i'm a shitty person you throw it in the back and you're just ignoring it and you're drowning out all those emotional emotions and all those negative thoughts and feelings you're just chucking them in the back seat and then you get sober and it's like it's like hitting a brick wall because i now i don't have i don't have that crutch of um of drinking and using to get rid of that stuff and then uh you know you get sober and all that stuff just comes flying up into the front seat and you're faced with it all and it, it really is a a hard thing to deal with um all at once and i think it's a huge thing to have support um go to meetings talk to a lot of people meet make new friends and uh find good hobbies find things that you like to enjoy um while you're uh, on this whatever whatever your sobriety looks like whatever your your journey looks like uh find out what you like to do and what makes you happy and never give up um no matter how hard it can get no matter how hard it seems there's always somebody else out there that has been through the same thing uh, and they've made it through it and 
you will be able to make it through as long as you keep on pushing ahead and keep asking for help. And I think that's all I got for now. Thanks, guys. Yeah, just keep keep asking for help. That's what Steve did. You know, yeah. And Sharon and, you know, there there really isn't much that, you know, somebody's gone through that somebody else hasn't gone through. You know, it's worth talking about. You had a thanks, Steve. Thanks, yeah, no, I'm happy, your to, story. happy to be on. Hopefully it helps somebody. There's there's so much more to it, but we only have so much time. That's right. Yeah, I really appreciate um, I really appreciate your story. And, and I like I really like that you talk about reaching out like that, because I think that that is one of the hardest things to do is to, to reach out um, when we need help. And yet, like the most critical, right? Like mm -hmm. we have to we cannot do this alone. We we just cannot. Um, I mean, I tried. Right? Yeah. yeah, if I could have done it alone, I would have. Exactly, um, and uh, and so I I, um, I like that you emphasize that so much, and and we we have to get that from people that have been there before, or else. Yeah. In my experience, we just discredit the message. Um, yeah. Unless they've been through it, but um, yeah, man, I liked I liked your story. Way. I think it's so it's so beautiful to to hear you know that that moment where your uh, your ex tells you that your kids are forgetting about you and and to see that that was a moment for you where you're like shit like yeah it was a huge turning point yeah. and a huge realization that this isn't just like a not a I'm not a, I'm not a young kid partying anymore <laughs> I'm yeah. like 32 and you know child sports building up my kids are forgetting about me my parents don't know what the hell to do with me because they've been dealing with it for <laughs> however long you know what I mean it's, yeah yeah so that was that was a big uh big eye opener, big wake up call to me. Well, and now you're in the this position, like as a result of having worked these steps and gotten sober and, and, uh, and, um, been where you are, you're in a position where you're able to be their guardian, right? Like you have full custody yeah, of, yep. of them and, and, uh, that's he's, he's doing the dad thing, doing the dad thing. That's amazing. Doing Two the teenage girls, 13 and 14. That's, <laughs> It's a it's ride. A good time. Yeah. No, they're they're good kids. They both, they're both doing just normal kid stuff. I try to tell my wife, you know, relax a little bit. They're just <laughs> they ain't doing what you were doing yeah. at fourteen. Yeah. No, so that's a step up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud of you, man. It's been an honor to to watch your journey. You know, I remember your first meeting out of jail. That you, you know, and you talked about getting out of jail, and I remember being there the first first one out. I think that meeting that we met. Yeah. In, in the basement of your home group. Yep came straight from the jail to a meeting and there you were and there I was and I got to hear your excitement to be out and give this thing a go and it's been an honor to watch it you know and yeah, I've been pretty heavily involved ever since and I think that was a huge thing you got to build that foundation you know all of all of the people that I knew from before were all partiers you know what I mean not really um <clears throat> beneficial to this new way of life you know so yeah. I think we hear that a lot you know we have to change one thing you have to change everything you know people places and things or whatever and in many regards that's really true you know yeah i got so much of my my uh daily like personality like life uh whatever i go to from my friends and stuff so that's a really tough one so and early on you know like you know that first day sober with no drugs or alcohol it's really tough you know what i mean and that's the, that's the you know you took away my medicine to deal with life and stuff now i don't have anything what am i going to do you know and um, good relations, good relations. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things. There's kind of a cool 
study that they did with rats. I won't get into it, but <laughs> <laughs> I could share about it later or something yeah. with you. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know how relevant it is from between rats and humans. I guess they're kind of genetically similar and whatnot, well, but well, it's pretty interesting. Well, if you if you put a rat alone, it's more apt to get addicted to cocaine. Yeah, that's where if, if you put it with uh, other rats. Other rats, yeah, it's, social. It's it's less apt. And that's what it was. You put a rat with yeah. cocaine water and regular water, it would go right to the cocaine water, but then when you put it in a, a cage with other rats around with social and uh, interactions with other people and stuff, yeah. it would just go to the just the regular water. It didn't even really care about the cocaine yeah. water and stuff. It's kind of interesting. I think that's a lot of what what uh, works about AA is just the community and the support and mm. knowing that you're not alone. You know? Yeah, for sure. Maybe, uh, maybe cocaine wasn't his drug of choice. <laughs> 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 maybe they should have had uh, or some Molly meth, meth water, bourbon <laughs> water. Who knows? GHB. <laughs> Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was kind of cool, but I think that's a huge thing, you know, it's yeah. community and feeling part Absolutely. of a group and kind of getting that foundation going. It's yeah. huge for me, and I think it's huge for a lot of people early on. Big for me. I wouldn't know you guys without it. Yeah, and it's yeah. for sure. Like, I'm just so glad that you're a part of our community um, here. I love seeing you at that Thursday night meeting, and and uh, it's been cool to see your journey um, from from where you came in at to, to where you are now. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, beautiful, man. Yeah. It's beautiful. been a fun ride. It's been fun. It's been good. And, and I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about, you know, this perspective with the steps and, and, you know, really letting us get into it with you. And, and, uh, and I think that it's, uh, it's important to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's let everybody get out of here. What do you say? Let's go home. Sounds yeah. good. Thanks for having me, guys. Jordan, you're the man. Ryland, you're also cool. (laughs) Jordan, you're okay. Yeah, we have our moments. With that, we will see you on the other side. Remember, you are worth the work. Sign out, Steve. You're on. Uh, That'll work. That'll work. He gave me the the thumbs up The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.